0: Bet365 sponsors our podcast and they feature over 300,000 sporting events on their betting app. It's got everything you need to bet on sport. The domestic season returns this weekend with the Community Shield and Bet365 are offering a wide range of markets, including first, last or time goal scorers. With over 45 million members, it's the world's favorite online betting company. With the Bet365 Bet Builder, you can combine match results, players to score, number of goals and more to create your own personalised bet. And if you can't watch the games live with Bet365's Match Live feature, you can follow every moment through live graphics and text. Bet365 is the world's favourite online sport betting company. The app can be downloaded from Google Play and Apple App Store. Over 18s only, please gamble responsibly. Yes, hello, welcome to this week's Going Up, Going Down podcast. We are an EFL-focused pod brought to you by The Athletic. I'm Ali Maxwell, alongside me as ever, my co-host George Alec. George, what have we got in store this week?
1: We've got a great podcast in store this week, Uh, big news coming out in the EFL from Derby County, the charges against them have been dropped and we are going to speak to the Athletics' Ryan Conway about the news coming out there. A couple of weeks ago, Sheffield Wednesday were docked 12 points um, in 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 a resolution of their issue, very different to Derby's and we're going to be speaking to Nancy Frostick who covers Sheffield Wednesday for the Athletic about that situation as well. And then we're going to talk about transfers. You and I have picked a couple of our favourite transfers from the Championship, League One and League Two, and we're going to tell you why.
0: time to be a subscriber to the athletic so much good stuff on site at the moment theathletic.co.uk forward slash efl pod if you want to give it a try you'll get a 30 day free trial so you can check out everything uh, within the next month and then decide whether it's right for an annual subscription Uh, but let's get cracking we want to hear all things derby county so of course we dialed up ryan conway Yes, as ever, plenty of off-field activity across the EFL. That's where we're going to start. Joined by Ryan Conway, who covers Derby County for The Athletic. Ryan, thank you for joining us. It's been a very good week for Derby County. Found innocent in their battle with the EFL. No points deduction, no fine, nothing in fact. But we want to understand what exactly Derby were found not guilty of and why. Basically, Derby were cleared on two
2: charges the first charge was the club's valuation um associated with the sale of pride park in june 2018 and the second charge was the club's amortization policy with the fixed intangible assets brackets players um, <laughs> so that they were that they were the charges that they were brought up on those are the sort of layman's terms that we're looking for, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> um, so essentially, the independent panel agreed with Derby's valuation of their stadium. It's believed that in, in the report, it's believed that clubs such as, I think, Middlesbrough value Derby stadium at around £20 million, which is, you know, well below what, what Derby uh, valued it at. At in the initial statement after they were charged derby said that they actually uh, complied with the efl on a modest price adjustment of the stadium it's believed that that was now uh, i think it's 82 million pounds they originally valued it out of something like that it wasn't far off the 80 million and it said that the we believe that the efl are incredibly um frustrated with their own expert evaluator in in the process of 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 doing that with the player amortization this was an accounting practice that Derby had switched to in 2015 I believe it's incredibly dense to try and get into but es- essentially what, what they were doing is so you sign a player for you know 10 million on a five-year deal and usually you know they amortize they lose value each year until they're worth nothing at the end of their contract. So they'd lose, what, two million each year on their value. Uh, Derby weren't doing that. They were applying what's called residual value to a player. So essentially, it, it basically works out that they were it, the player didn't amortise to nothing. They would amortise to something on the club's books. This was one of those things where it was an accounting practice which wasn't against the law, though many felt it was against the spirit of the law. They were subsequently warned about that policy and have now um, fallen in line with how the EFL would like them to amortise. It should be said that um, this is also an accounting practice that Premier League clubs use and no one in the Premier League has ever been charged with it. It's uh, And it's now believed that um, the EFL will have to... Tweak the rules because uh, to try and fall in line more with UEFA because UEFA do demand that you amortise in what's called a straight line policy, i.e., you your players amortise to nothing. That is believed to be what the next logical step for the EFL in that rule will
1: be. Well done. <laughs> it's not easy to <laughs> to, to summarise, and uh, certainly your piece yesterday, how stadium was valued and way derby spread costs, key to club being cleared, uh, tidied up kind of my understanding of the situation very well indeed. So anybody listening who wants to find out more should go and read Ryan's piece with Matt Slater uh, over there. I mean, We've covered this obviously, Ali and I, over the course of the last six to eight months, or even longer. And often the Derby and the Sheffield Wednesday stories and the charges have been lumped in together, with the assumption that probably if one was found guilty, so would the other. But that that hasn't been the case. Sheffield Wednesday were found guilty and have had the points deduction for next season, whereas Derby have been cleared. Can you, can you explain the difference as to why this has happened and what separates the two issues?
2: Yeah, I think um, on the on the face of it, I think it is very easy to be like, oh well, if they get charged, then then surely Derby have to get charged. But but actually, the intricacies of both cases were incredibly different. Um, Sheffield Wednesday were accused of, I think one of their charges was the stadium sale and how it was accounted for in the 2017-18 accounts. Uh, the other one is that many believe that they um, just flagrantly lied to the EFL and they were found guilty that, you know, they put... The stadium sale on their books um, in the wrong accounts, essentially, and then when brought up on that, it was you know believed that did they purposefully deceive the EFL on that? And the commission believed that they did. Um, Derby were never accused of anything like that. They were accused of their own stadium valuation and the player amortisation. So yeah, I think that it's it's very it's very different. Derby never lied. Derby, <laughs> whether you believe rightly or wrongly, Derby ought, have always believed that. You know, they didn't have to lie. They submitted it in the right accounts. Um, that was their own valuation of the stadium. They said the EFL ratified that valuation of the stadium in time. Um, and also, critically, um, the EFL were warned about Derby's amortisation policy. They were warned about this policy and chose to do nothing about it. So, you know, very, very different intricacies of the of the charge. I mean, it's believed, you know, Sheffield Wednesday basically just lied and and tried to pull a fast one over the over the EFL. Um, you know, Derby were you know didn't do that
0: <laughs> as it as it appears in the in the report. Yeah, it's kind of another example, isn't it? Of uh, and there have been a fair few over the years of the EFL's own rules and regulations sort of not being tight enough uh, and therefore being open to the sort of sneaky uh, you know the sort of sneaky ways around them and, and loopholes being exploited, such as the old selling yourself the stadium in order to, to to you know put some money back against your your worrying FFP predictions, which is kind of what this was all about uh, for, for both clubs and, dare I say it, for some other clubs as well. Aston Villa did similar. Uh, I believe Reading have as well. Um, let's move on to more good news for Derby County at the club and their fans especially, who uh, as well as Enjoying the fact that they won't be starting the season with a points deduction, can now probably look forward to you know quite an exciting campaign. It, it certainly feels, Ryan, that, that with a lot of transfer business still to be done in the championship across all clubs, Derby have at least made some some pretty exciting additions recently, and and the atmosphere seems to be very good around the place.
2: Yeah, I mean they were beaten three 0 by Brentford away yesterday, but <laughs> <laughs> but with that they did they did have um, a significant amount of academy. Kids in there who hadn't tasted
0: um, first team life before. Preseason results are always a good one because everyone says don't look into them too much, but then when you win, it feels quite good, and you, you kind of can't really be um, you can't really be blamed for getting a bit exciting. And when you lose, you probably think, "Oh God, this isn't going to go well." But everyone knows ultimately that they don't matter.
2: I think I, I think this one does a little bit because. Having spoken to people that were that were at at the game and and having caught up with some of the highlights that I can find, it really does reinforce the need that Derby do need a winger, a proper out and out winger. Um, they've got a, a couple of sort of what you'd term, I guess, inside forward semi strikers, however, but guys that cut in from the wing um, onto their natural foot. They don't really have someone that will go on the outside um, and has real speed to to stretch the pitch, and that was evident, you know, yesterday from from all I can garner from it. But yes, they've brought in David Marshall, a goalkeeper. That's a position that they did need to fill. I think they only had Kellaroos as the only senior goalkeeper. They ended up calling up um Henrik uh, Ravas to to sort of be the the second keeper while they sorted out another goalkeeper. So yeah, David Marshall comes in. I think he'll be a, a more consistent and steady pair of hands than Kellaroos and uh, you know, post lockdown I thought Kellaroos was was good and um, once he was reinstated he had a couple of excellent games, and you know a lot of the goals that Derby did concede weren't really on him. Um, but the consistency with him has always been an issue, and and his very good showings when he was reinstated post-Project Restart. Can't really mask what initially lost him his spot. So David Marshall comes in, and I think he'll be a much more consistent and steady pair of hands. Getting Matt Clark back in the door at centre-half was absolute, absolutely enormous. I can't overstate how big that was, not only because of the quality of the player that he is, but um, the last two windows cock went on the record it was half joking but there was enough there to sense that no really it's not funny um that he said that he said that both windows hadn't been what he expected he was very open in december that he wanted a winger and a striker didn't get it i mean the fact that they cancelled the loans of jamie patterson and kieran dowell before january even got here told you all he thought about those two players and how they fit so it was fair to say that this was a big window for him and in the run-up to you know the end of the season and the window opening. He had not been shy about him wanting Matt Clark back. Um, so this was a massive, massive um, move for them because you know the, Cocker had gone on record he wanted Clark back, and the club delivered for him. That you know that that's that's a big checkmark for for both for both parties, um, and of course Mike Tavieric signed his pre-contract in February he's now in the building, everyone's very excited about him, you know, they, they got him for free from uh, FC uh, Groningen uh, he, they wanted him in January but Groningen wouldn't let him leave they had some things to, to sort through on the on their own end so he's now in the building they've now got a little bit of depth at uh, at centre back and Christian Bielik is due back in a couple of months as well It's all
1: very positive there and the playing side and I mean Ali and my life is about to become just conversations of predictions basically from now until mid-September as it always seems to do at the beginning of the season and we have to work out which sides who didn't challenge necessarily in the playoffs who were just outside and in mid-table in the Championship are ready to make that step forward and really push for promotion next season. And for a time towards the back end of last season, it looked like Derby were ready to do that. Is that the aim this year? Is that the the feeling at the club is that next season is the one where Koku's Derby can really challenge towards the top end of the table and get back into the Premier League? I
2: think so. I think so. I mean, look, last year they they kind of almost succeeded i mean and let's let's be real here a, a 10th place finish was a good season and um, believe me you know that season was interesting um so, <laughs> so 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 a 10th place finish was really really good uh i think they can kick on this this year and i think you know even, even last year Koku was talking playoffs so i think that is that is the expectation this year look that they, they need a they still need to add to that squad i don't think they're far away but that comes with the caveat that, you know, they do, they do still need to add to it. They they lost Chris Martin. Jamal Hector Ingram has been getting a run out in pre-season and by all accounts has been has been hit and miss. Jack Marriott is fit again. He, he'd played pretty much all season with a, with a groin injury that needed surgery. And that was from all the way back, sort of post-playoff um, final. So he'd been laboring pretty much all year. He had the surgery. He's now feeling fit again. Um, and of course, they've got Martin Weickhorn, I'm not going to argue if people think they need another striker, more firepower. They almost certainly need more speed out wide, um, but I don't think they're that far away. Um, and I think, yeah, I think the the expectation is to to push for the for the top six,
0: and hopefully, hopefully. Although we love reading your. Uh, pieces on all topics. Hopefully from a Derby perspective there's a little less going on off the field certainly to start the season uh, and we can focus on the development of, of an interesting playing style under Koku which you've written extensively about recently and also the development of this exciting batch of young players which is pretty much unmatched uh, across the championship certainly and, and arguably across the the whole of the English football pyramid. So thank you Ryan. We can't wait to see uh, to read all your stuff as the season begins uh, and thanks so much for your time explaining the uh the the tricky stuff and the exciting stuff as well
2: no i appreciate that uh just before i go i'd just like to say that um in case no one is aware of what happened in america in the sporting world last night um i extend all my support to everything that is going on in the nba in the WNBA, in the mlb boycotting those games took tremendous courage um in the wake of yet more police shootings of of unarmed black men you know i know people will roll their eyes at this segment but we need change and if not now when um it is tremendously powerful and um, we, we, have to, we have to change. This cannot continue and peaceful protest is the only way forward. And I support all of those players and organisations that took the decision to boycott last night's games.
0: Yeah, very well said, Ryan. And I just want to uh, offer George and my support as well for, for everything that you've said. Uh, we're in total agreement. Thank you so much again
1: for joining us today on the pod. Hi there, I'm David Ornstein and I've launched a brand new show on YouTube, Ask Ornstein where I answer questions from our Athletic subscribers. To get your question answered, simply leave a comment at the bottom of my column every Monday and I'll choose my favourites. To watch the show, head over to the TIFO podcast YouTube channel and a new episode will be up every Tuesday afternoon. So from Derby to Sheffield Wednesday, and we are delighted as ever to have the Sheffield Wednesday Athletic writer Nancy Frostick joining us on the Going Up, Going Down podcast. And Nancy, we mentioned to Ryan there that quite often the Derby and Sheffield Sheffield Wednesday stories, the charges of the last best part of a year have been lumped together when we're talking about them. Derby have not been punished and Sheffield Wednesday go into next season second favourites for relegation after a points deduction. What's been the reaction at the club since the news from Derby broke?
3: Yeah, it's um, kind of not ideal now that Wednesday are definitely on their own in this in starting on a points deduction. But um, I mean, most of all from Wednesday, I um, They've, they're appealing, the most important thing is they're appealing the points deduction, which is one of the two charges that they face. So that looks like it's heading to appeal and um, we're sort of led to believe it'll be in the autumn. So it's probably going to rumble on to be nearly a full year since they were actually charged. So Wednesday believe they've, they've got a really strong case in that. And, you know, they'll obviously fight that as, as hard as they can in the understanding that basically... They feel that the EFL signed off on, on the stadium sale and I think that's kind of the sticking point there. But then they welcomed um, another one of the charges which was dropped, which basically said that they'd acted sort of in bad faith with in relations with the EFL and in, in relation to this charge. So uh, they were sort of pleased with that part of the outcome, but obviously they're, they're appealing the, uh, the main charge, which has led to the points deduction. Uh,
0: there's always sort of suggested whenever there's a big decision like this made in the EFL that there is a threat of legal action uh, either from the club involved, sometimes other clubs in the division who might be directly or indirectly affected by uh, whatever the sanctions are. Um, outside of the appeal, is there, do you think, a, a threat of further legal action? Is that possible or a or Sheffield Wednesday uh, apart from the appeals, kind of keen to get on with things.
3: Yeah, as far as I'm aware, from Wednesday's point of view, it's you know it's just down to the appeal now. I don't think there's anything further that they kind of want to pursue at this stage. I mean, obviously, there's Charlton had kind of raised that they might look into legal action, but um, I think the problem is obviously with the situation, the sad situation that Charlton find themselves in with their ownership vassal and everything else. There's kind of perhaps not that spearhead, you know, not someone spearheading their um, case if if he wants to sort of speak in those terms but um, yeah at the moment I think just for Wednesday the, the focus is on um, on the appeal and, and that'll kind of obviously that's the final thing now so um, once that's happened whichever way it goes that, that'll kind of obviously hopefully be putting this situation to bed and, and Wednesday can move forward.
1: Talking of putting the situation to bed moving forward let's talk about the football side of things rather than the off-field issues and there's been a, a fair churn of, of players coming through the door and out of the door at Hillsborough over the summer since the points deduction. You've got the likes of, of Murphy, Fox, Fletcher, Hutchinson, Wickham, Forestieri, Winnell and Windass all moving on. And a couple of good looking signings as well with Shay Dunkley coming in on a free from Wigan and Izzy Brown for his umpteenth loan in the Championship. But a player who, when he's good, very, very classy at this level uh, is the feeling that there's still a fair bit of business to do at Sheffield Wednesday before the season starts?
3: Definitely. I think, um, you know, even with those additions, I think they've got a squad of about 24 and that's included a few, um, of, of their academy products. So they definitely need more players just to bulk that squad out. And the priority will be with strikers because Jordan Rhodes is the only senior striker on the books at the moment. Plus they probably could do with another winger. So there's um, been some talk that they've had a, a 1 million pound bid accepted for Jonathan Laco at West Brom, uh, Birmingham have also had a similar bid agreed there so it's it's just a case of Wednesday getting bodies in the door fast enough basically for the start of the season because you know it's it's only two weeks away and starting with one striker really isn't um ideal and it's a lot of pressure to put on Jordan Rhodes who's sort of dipped in and out of of the team and dipped in and out of form for the past sort of two years or so at Wednesday so.
0: We've been talking for a few years about what we perceive to be the need for a bit of squad churn uh, at Sheffield Wednesday and, and, and just trying to uh, shed their skin a little bit from those teams that, that challenged in the playoffs uh, three or four years ago. Um, and it never quite happened until it began last season and and this summer as well, some, um, some of those key players from a previous era, dare I say, uh, leaving the club. But it also doesn't feel like they have the financial wherewithal to refresh a squad in the same way that they would have done a few years ago. Are they still operating under a a soft embargo that they were last summer, basically only freeze and loans, or or have they got a little bit more wiggle room now?
3: Um, Not as far as I'm aware. I think obviously the situation they found themselves in with um, FFP and And everything that's then led to this points deduction in the last few years primarily came out of the way they were spending before and kind of how they were obviously um, selling and buying Mm -hmm. players. So that's a lot of the thinking behind maybe the change in in recruitment. So it's not in my understanding that they're under any embargo. It's just that, you know, the three year profitability rolling period basically means that they've got to think about that even though they've got the sale of Hillsborough were possibly to still be included in one of the other accounting years if you know depending on how they work that now but yeah they still need to kind of pick players up in that difficult free and, and loan market where a lot of people seem to be shopping this summer but yeah that it's uh, it's not the the Wednesday that you might have seen active in the market a few years ago where they could splash sort of a few million on a few players it's um you know, I think a million is probably the upper end. Having to be thrifty. Yeah, yeah.
1: (laughs) Brilliant piece of yours uh, went live uh, on The Athletic this morning, Nancy. Uh, Does Monk Ball exist? How do Wednesday play under Monk? And I'm interested to know how he has reacted to all of this and how he's approaching this season, because he strikes me from the outside as a manager who doesn't need much to feel like he's been shortchanged. I think undoubtedly going into a season with a minus 12 point deduction, he's got his back to the wall from the start. I mean, do you think he's the kind of manager who will relish in this situation?
3: Yeah, I mean, I think obviously his experience with Birmingham is a massive uh, plus in this situation. And when you look back now, at sort of this time last year, where Wednesday were looking for um, a manager and maybe it wasn't, you know, flush with options at the time for managers, if you could have picked someone with experience of overcoming a points deduction and, and dealing with all of these off-field issues, then you know Monk probably looked best place, best place to do that. So, from what I sort of gather so far from speaking to the club and, and people at the club, it, he's he's sort of embraced it and basically turned this into a um, you know us against the world mentality. And you know Wednesday. If, Got some new coaches in the in the first team staff. So James Beattie and Daryl Flahaven have come in from Birmingham, where they worked with Monk before. So it's they've pulled together some experience uh, experienced heads in in that capacity, and also maybe just given certain key areas a, a freshen up and um, bringing in those new players as well has sort of brought a, a good optimism and um, yeah a good hope that they can overturn this overturn this points deduction rip pretty quickly at the start of the season.
0: Yeah, I think. And, and there's actually a, a Sheffield Wednesday fan called Peter Lohman on, on Twitter who's very good with data and numbers. And uh, I, I sort of set him a task the other day, actually, wondering, based on historical... Points picked up by Championship clubs. Essentially, what the target was for Sheffield Wednesday um, uh, to 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 hit in order to not guarantee survival, but but put the odds in their favour, shall you say? Uh, and generally, with a with a twelve point deduction, you'd be looking, I think, at around sixty points. Um, and and generally, a team that gets sixty points is a mid table team, a sort of eleventh, twelfth, thirteenth place team. Uh, and that's kind of what what my target would be for them just to stay up. Now, last season, of course, they finished 16th uh, and had the 12-point deduction been applied on Sheffield Wednesday last season, they would have been relegated. So they do have to improve. Uh, and Nancy, as you said, it's, it's a difficult for them in the transfer market at the moment, um, but they have got Gary Monk and they've got this kind of easy motivational factor, as you've pointed out there, us against them. Uh, I'm kind of... Uh, dodging the question which I'm now going to ask is your instinct that they will be in a good place to to make those improvements and and to stay up?
3: Yeah, I mean, I think obviously, um, you know, when we're talking about this season, I think the conversation is always going to be staying up first as a priority you know you can't get carried away and say oh yeah we're going to go for the playoffs because realistically that's just not part of the kind of the picture at the moment you know it's it, they've done a good job in getting those players and those coaching staff in early and and that's something that really you know can't be ignored because in the past they've had to leave business late because of embargoes and other things that have just meant you know the situation's rumbled on but they've got a few players in the door early the next two weeks are going to be crucial in getting just a few more um, to bulk out the squad and ensure that they can start the season in, you know, a healthy position in terms of the squad. Um, but yeah, it's I mean it's an uphill task, but it's one that I think you know they've either got to rise to the the challenge or you know it, it'll become very evident uh, very quickly that. <laughs> either Monk or the players aren't the right kind of mix to to do this and, and fight this and um, it, it will require the absolute most out of them every single game I think there's not going to be any chance for them to do what happened last season and you know sort of fall fall asleep for the second half of the season, and you know they 've really got to make sure they're um, they 're on top of it for the duration really
0: I was going to say that the mental makeup of the team is going to have to change from last season i 've got games against Blackburn and, and Brentford fresh in my memory where the certainly the defensive structure of the team just collapsed completely and that is often um, put down to a sort of weak mentality and not being able to to step up when the going gets tougher and the going is very tough for Sheffield Wednesday minus 12 points they'll start the season within in three weeks time uh, Nancy we will certainly be locked to your author page on The Athletic making sure that we're up to date with everything that you're writing about the club and thank you so much for joining us and giving us a, an update into the Owls on this week's podcast oh,
3: Thanks for having me guys
0: this podcast is brought to you by manscaped the expert in men's below the belt grooming manscaped offers precision engineered tools for your family jewels and Manscaped has just launched in the UK. We've gone years without using the right tools for the job, so you can be one of the first men in the country to experience Manscaped's life-changing products. Their third-generation trimmer features a cutting-edge ceramic blade to reduce manscaping accidents, and the water-resistant technology also allows you to groom whilst in the shower. And we've got a special offer right now for all of you listening to this podcast. Get 20% off and free shipping by using the code EPL20, that's EPL20, at manscaped.com. That's 20% off with free shipping at manscaped.com by using the code EPL20. Happy shaving. Right then, I think we both thought it was important to get the skinny on uh, on Derby. Certainly a big week for them and, and also the impact on Sheffield Wednesday. Uh, as we mentioned, those two have been kind of lumped in together with their off-field wranglings with the EFL, but both interesting uh, on pitch uh, as well as we approach the season. Uh, we don't talk about transfers enough i don't think georgia and everyone loves transfers so we've put together our own little segment now to finish the pod on a high Uh, we are choosing our three favorite transfers from each division now in the championship it feels like there's still a lot of business to be done league one and league two clubs have been more active but everyone's kind of restricted by the current uncertainty uh with the coronavirus and with having to play games behind closed doors it's worth pointing out george that these are not we're not ranking them. We're not saying these are the best transfers, just the ones that we as close uh, spectators of the EFL are most excited about or interested in. I can't wait to hear who you've got first up in the championship.
1: <laughs> yeah, you're, you're talking a lot about transfers today because you're chatting to the guys at Tifa about sensible ones after this. Oh, happened. yes. but uh, Yeah, these maybe not so sensible, just ones we're looking forward to seeing. And I think I speak for anybody who watches championship football to say that the prospect of having more... And Gibbs-White playing in the Championship for Swansea is going to be really interesting because this is a guy who's played under Steve Cooper before, who, if you're looking at the kind of players that he was playing alongside and not necessarily kind of behind in terms of, of, of his level a couple of years ago, Jaden Sancho, Phil Foden. I mean, these are guys who are now in the England senior squad and who are de- destined to kind of be the dominant players in world football and two years ago two seasons ago Morgan Gibbs White played 25 games for Wolves as a teenager in the Premier League when those two were still not making their you know their first team bows and something has quite clearly gone wrong Um, whether it's his attitude whether I mean it's clearly not his ability but for whatever reason Wolves as we've seen over the last couple of years are very very good judges of talent and um, they've given him a new contract and sent him on loan to Swansea to try and regain that form under Steve Cooper. And there has to be every chance that Gibbs White probably won't necessarily find that again, whatever reason he was um, in the first team pitch at Wolves a couple of years ago. Now he isn't. He's a, a silky centre midfielder who's can carry the ball brilliantly uh, with a great array of passing as well. I think he's undoubtedly a an upgrade in terms of talent. Uh, On Conor Gallagher, if you remember this time last year, Gallagher was sent out on loan to to Charlton, who were, you know, not expected to be doing much in the championship. And I I think most people probably didn't expect him to have much of a future at Chelsea over the course of the season. That may have changed given his performances in the first team. But Gibbs-White, I think, represents a calibre and a quality above that. Of, of, of Gallagher's it's just whether we can see the best out of him and I think that as I mentioned it's not a certainty but if this does click if he does regain his focus if he does enjoy playing under Cooper and gets 40 45 starts uh, under his belt next season then we will have a player on our hands who is quite clearly better than the level who two years ago was seen as a premier league quality and now age 20 where he, when he should still be developing and um, has the talent to really dominate so I'm not going to sit here and tell you it's going to work out, but I do think in terms of intrigue and double ceilings, I think this, even though it's a loan signing, could be one that's really exciting looking forward. It reminds me a little bit of when Mason Mount turned up at Derby, except I think Gibbs White's just a little bit further forward in his his progression already. So interesting to see how that one works out. I'm looking forward to hearing your one here because it's a player that I've seen a lot of smart football analytics on Twitter. All those guys that we like to follow saying this guy's going to be a brilliant signing.
0: Look, stealing the opinions of the really smart football analytics people on Twitter has served me well for about five years now. So there's no reason <laughs> to, to, to stop doing that just yet. Um, lastly, on, on Swansea and Gibbs-White, I just, it's so of all the clubs in the championship, I think their transfer business is getting people maybe most excited. Um, they've obviously got Freddie Woodman back, who was great in goal for them last year. Um, and they've got Mark Gahey as well from from Chelsea on loan, under 21, centre back uh, for England and just had such a good end to last season, is expected to kick on again this year. I just love that Steve Cooper is like the Pied Piper of... Uh, um, of young talent, of, of the under-17 World Cup winners from 2017. It's very exciting to have that uh, that group of players to cover in this league. Um, but someone who's come from abroad and signed for Coventry, which was a bit a bit out the blue, really. Coventry, over the last few years, have shown that they are certainly creative with where they sign their players from. Uh, and that's something that we always like to see, a, a bit of creative thinking in recruitment. Generally, we think bodes pretty well. It's good to have a recruitment team that thinks outside the box and isn't just recruiting from league one league two championship or premier league cast-offs. now don't get me wrong last year it didn't all go well for them in, in the transfer market despite their promotion and so much impressive um things happening around the club but you know castanier and jobello came in from from abroad they didn't really adapt they didn't really impact the team um, but commentary have signed a chap called gustavo hamer as you say as soon as he signed, a couple of people that we follow, um, certainly the guys from the Market Insights team, were all very excited and quite surprised that, that Coventry had pulled this off. One and a half million euros was the reported fee. It's it's a decent wedge, really, for, for Coventry. Now, they are run pretty sustainably and they have raised a lot through player sales over the last few few years so I'm not suggesting that they can't afford it but it does put pressure on him as they move into the championship that the big the key I suppose for for Coventry given how important Liam Walsh was uh, on loan from Bristol City last season was the need to replace him not necessarily as a like for like player um, but to fill that gap and and fill it with another quality player and that's what I think Coventry have done with Hamer I don't think he's necessarily as much of a, a, a distributor as much of a quarterback as Walsh and maybe not as accurate with his with his passing and, and without quite the range but he certainly looks good technically he took set pieces for, for Pech Tzwoller who he was playing for in Holland last season, but just out of possession, what we think about this guy and it remains to be seen, of course, is that it's aggressive out of possession, really strong in the tackle and and better defensively, perhaps, than Walsh, than Walsh was. And given commentary won't enjoy as much possession in the championship as they did in League One, that seems to be a, a really good signing, someone that will uh, help get them up to the next level. So I can't wait to see Hamer in action because he comes um, with a lot of good recommendations, put it that way, as, as a, a ball winning presence with mobility and aggression. So that's Gibbs, White and Hamer. We're expecting both of those to play central midfield roles. George, there's a bit of a theme here. Our third championship signing, our third favourite championship f- signing of the summer. Another centre mid.
1: Yeah, Joe Williams. Uh, he may have, I think, three full seasons of professional football under his belt for three different sides and three championship relegations. Uh, <laughs> He's like the reverse.
0: He's like the reverse Ollie Norwood.
1: <laughs> yeah, exactly. But he is an exciting player, um, and he's a, a guy that you know one of the plenty of Wigan players who performed admirably, admirably last season and doesn't deserve that relegation on his CV, uh, and wouldn't be leaving the club. I'm sure if it hadn't been for the off-field troubles, he would be one of the key players in a project under. Cook that was coming on leaps and bounds it's very sad that we won't be able to see it continue um, but he offers something in the middle of the park that Bristol City have been lacking and I know that there are certain Bristol City fans uh, who will disagree with me when I say this but in centre midfield last season they, um, it was it was catastrophic to sell someone, even though he played uh, largely out wide in Brown- Josh Brownhill to the Premier League and not replace him with a creative player in midfield And Misengo, for all of his energy, um, I think is still very raw and has a long way to come before he's ready for for this level of football. Um, You mentioned Walsh, who obviously comes in, comes back in after his loan, and Joe Morrell as well, after a a spell at Lincoln. But in Williams, they bring in a player aged 23 on a four-year deal who just is an all-action midfielder. He's very, very good at breaking up play. He gets around the park very well uh, and doesn't shy away from the physical side of things whilst also being a a very accomplished ball carrier and a decent passer as well. And he just seems to be that fit of of a player who brings to a side something that they've just clearly been lacking for a couple of seasons. Um, He has good pedigree as well coming from the Everton Academy uh, spells as I say on loan at both Barnsley and then Bolton did end in relegation but it was last season at Wigan where he really proved himself and I think yeah. Wigan fans will tell you that whilst other players may have, have got the got the headlines uh, it was his performances in the centre of midfield that was so crucial to their turnaround and form as well so uh, this one may be more of a sensible transfer just one that uh, is makes financial sense for the buying club in Bristol City, um, and you know it's sad to see this Wigan team picked apart. But if I was going to pick the signing that I thought made the most sense, um, and there are a couple of other ones from Wigan as well. I mean, I think the Kiefer more transfer to Cardiff makes a lot of sense. I think Shay Dunkley's move to Sheffield Wednesday is another very good one. Um, but just if yeah, if I was going into Bristol City. Uh, and I was told, you know, you need to sign a certain player. Then I think Williams would be very high up the list in terms of what they need. And his ceiling is still very high because you often forget just how young he is. So I'm mm. excited to see how he gets on.
0: And him and Walsh, obviously both starting their career, coming through the Everton Academy. I do note that mm. Everton fans on Twitter seem pretty keen for some central midfield players to be signed. So <laughs> uh, that that's uh, an interesting wrinkle. Let's drop down to League One. Uh, my first favourite transfer in League One this summer. Uh, Kind of gone under the radar. I think it was done quite early and I haven't seen much uh, discussed about the signing of Callum Camps for Fleetwood Town. Uh, Camps is only 24 years old, attacking midfield player. He's played sort of number 10. He's played as a really attacking number eight. Uh, I think he's even played a couple of games up top as a, as a sort of link man, a link forward. Um, he's played almost 250 games, or he did play almost 250 games for Rochdale. He's been a real beneficiary of Rochdale's um, absolute belief in their youth academy, which has served the club really well. And, you know, it, it's it's tough to see someone that they've given so much time and effort uh, to leave the club for a divisional rival for free. From a from a Rochdale point of view, this one will hurt a lot, but I dare say um, what comes with uh, giving these guys the opportunity to play and, and develop is also the the understanding that at some point you do have to let them go. Um, Rochdale, with camps in midfield, have, have finished between 20th and 16th for the last three seasons. So uh, as an individual player, it's very hard to stand out for a club that's constantly sort of striving for for survival and battling relegation Um, and and I dare say Rochdale have punched above their weight in staying in this division Camps has been a key man uh, and kind of a senior figure despite his young age in that Uh, a goal scorer I would say as as a midfield player more so perhaps than a creator he got six goals and seven assists last season in only 28 games which is great you know such good numbers for someone playing for a team down at the bottom. Uh, he's a threat from range. He'll take a lot of shots from from the edge of the box and just outside. Uh, and I think just... F- From a fit perspective, it works really well. Fleetwood barely got any goals from the centre of midfield last season. They've got some good players in those positions, the likes of Coots and and Rossiter and Glenn Whelan as well. But, you know, they really relied on their wide players and on Paddy Madden or Chad Evans. And I just think the addition of a goal-scoring midfield player arriving late in the box and and with a real goal threat could help them to, to take the next step. I expect them to be challenging near the top. And I'm really excited to see what camps can do Uh, playing for a club that's challenging near the top of the division rather than down the bottom. So excited to see camps for Fleetwood under Joey Barton. Uh, That's a centre midfield player again, I've just realised. And so is number five, the second favourite signing in League One. Another centre mid. What is going on?
1: Yeah, we like our centre midfielders, don't we? Normally ball-playing centre midfielders. And um, yeah, I I had to battle hard with with, with not just picking uh, an Oxford signing. Um, I thought that would be quite boring. But (laughs) there's another... Although I do think the Oxford's business has been good so far, I think Hull's business has been really impressive. And I was concerned about Hull a couple of weeks ago, uh, but they brought in Louis Coyle from Leeds, who's been on loan at Fleetwood for the last couple of seasons, who's as good an attacking fullback as you're really going to get at this level. Uh, they brought in Richie Smallwoods uh, from Blackburn, who is a kind of ball winner in the centre of midfield, who again, I think is, is championship quality, dropping down into League One. But the exciting one and the one that I'm really interested in seeing is Greg Doherty Mm. who we've seen in League One before. He was quite clearly the standout player in what was a fairly poor Shrewsbury team. I think he got seven goals and eight assists from midfield in what has, has really been his only full season in his career because he came into Rangers, was in and out of the side and for whatever reason, despite some similarities in their style of play, so maybe this doesn't really um, bode too well for him, Steven Gerrard seemingly just can't have him at all uh, and he was sent on loan to, to Hibs, um, you know, just in that time between January and when football had the COVID break and lit up Hibbs for the six games that he was there. Um, They were all really excited by him. An all-action midfielder who uh, is full of energy and late runs into the box and creativity and just looks a player who is at the stage of his career now where he needs games. And and I think given the impact that he made at Shrewsbury, uh, as I mentioned aside, who who struggled that campaign, um, there seems no reason why in a side who, given the that they've made, you now have to say are looking like one of the stronger um, sides in the, or squads, I should say, in the division, despite their struggles towards the back end of last season, where, of course, they lost so much attacking output uh, when Kamil Kositsky and Jared Bowen left. But I feel like in Doherty, they've brought in somebody who who could have that impact and who could replace Um, the the drive and the energy from deeper areas that they're going to need so Mm. it's another one who you know it wouldn't be a massive surprise to see him not necessarily be as good a signing as maybe Smallwood and Coyle but in terms of those with high ceilings those who could you know we could be talking about it would be no surprise next summer if we're thinking that Doherty is one of the players who we think could really step up and play at a higher level than League One And uh, you kind of have a feeling that if Hull are to improve markedly on their performances, it was the back end of the championship season, somebody like him is going to have to step up. Somebody like him is going to have to get those goals uh, and that drive um, from deeper in the pit, deeper in midfield as well. Um, So that's my one from League One. You've got another one in League One as well. And another team who are doing some really nice bits in the transfer market. Uh, We spoke to him last week on the pod. It's Michael Appleton's Lincoln.
0: Yeah, we've always been a fan of, of Michael Appleton's recruitment, and and the results are kind of there to be seen, uh, and and you can see him really putting his stamp on this Lincoln side as they shed their skin uh, from the Cowley brothers era. Uh, Theo Archibald is is my pick here. We've got we've moved away from the centre of the park and out wide. Archibald's a twenty two year old Scottish winger, left footer, probably best cutting in from the right from what we've seen so far. But it's been a a, a, a a tricky career in some ways so far. He was really highly rated at Celtic. Absolute star for their youth teams. Um, But for various reasons, some of them, I think, linked to some immaturity off the field. Kind of fizzled out. Brentford, Took a punt on him, brought him into their B-team setup, tried to work on him. And in fairness, it, it clearly didn't really work out there either. They weren't that disappointed to let him go, which is always a bit of a red flag. Brentford tends to uh, tend to work pretty hard on players that they think are worth working hard on. Um, but he was on loan at Forest Green for a bit from Brentford and played well and then played for this Macclesfield team last season who... We know that off the field, we're just going through the absolute ringer. Uh, Players were routinely paid late, that the the ownership situation and the relationship with the fans completely broke down. And, you know, they were favourites for relegation. Of course, they did get relegated Eventually, um, but only after multiple points deductions and actually in terms of their on pitch performance, this was a team that hugely overachieved and Theo Archibald was one of the key players there. He really stepped up to the plate uh, and for someone who's who's sort of, as I mentioned, whose maturity has been questioned as a young player, last season uh, seems to show that he's ready to to, to sort of fulfil that potential uh, and, and Michael Apperton is, is a man with a very good record of turning turning talent and potential into actual um, output so he's just a lovely player to watch archibald a really direct dribbler He's actually quite tall for a winger, um, but as I said, just a magnificent left foot, his delivery from from wide areas, but also cutting in his shooting from the right-hand side. He actually played right wing-back for Macclesfield, which I think was uh, kind of a new position for him. So he's obviously got uh, that in his locker, should Appleton want to go with a wing-back system. I think he'll probably go 4-2-3-1, and and I expect to see Archibald cutting in off the right flank uh, and providing a real goal threat for Lincoln. So, uh, you know, always good for a couple of long-range goals, scored a few screamers for Macclesfield. And I... I hope that this is the season that Archibald, yeah, as I mentioned, turns that sort of potent, uh, sorry. And yeah, I just hope that this is the season that Archibald uh, under the watchful eye of a friend of the pod, Michael Appleton, uh, turns his potential into uh, performances at League One level, uh, which could push him upwards and onwards as well. So uh, that's League One. That was Greg Doherty, Callum Camps and Theo Archibald. What about in League Two? I'll, I'll take the lead here. My first. And just an obvious one, this, how could you not be excited about Owen Doyle staying in League Two despite Swindon's uh, promotion? He was obviously uh, only on a short term contract there, having finally joined them permanently in January. And and he's opted to stay down in League Two where he knows he can score goals. And he's opted to join Bolton Wanderers who are going through a real rebuild job down in League Two uh, after successive relegations. Doyle needs to be the one to find the goals for them to to win promotion and they are favourites for promotion. You can see why with some of the signings but Doyle is the jewel in the crown. Uh, One of the most elite goal scoring seasons in, in modern times which sounds like a massive exaggeration which I am prone to but this guy scored 25 goals in 28 league games for Swindon last season. He scored 11 more goals than any other player in League Two. And at one point he scored in 11 straight games, uh, which was a a 15 goals in 11 games uh, stretch. It was absolutely unbelievable display of finishing, of penalty box movement, uh, and also uh, a reflection of... Uh, how nice it is for a striker to be part of a team whose whole attacking output is based around creating good quality chances for them so the reason i'm excited is to see if he can replicate this uh, to see if ian Evert, who is bolton manager um, can replicate what he did with barrow last season in the national league whereby their striker scott quigley scored 20 goals in 35 games he really got the most out of the striker there. And I'm hoping that this will be the same with Doyle, that there might be some teething issues. There's so many new faces in the club, Everett included. Um, but, you know, his football last season with Barrow got so many plaudits, Barrow Salona, they called them, <laughs> uh, which is a bit of an ugly one, But uh, but you can kind of see the intent there. Uh, and I'm looking forward to seeing this Bolton side with Doyle uh, at the front of it. Just hopefully proving himself to be one of the great fourth-tier goal scorers of our time. I, I'm looking forward to seeing him play. Um, uh, uh, and then there's someone else who's <laughs> playing in League Two last season for the last few years, in fact, George. But has has maybe got a, a move up the food chain in League Two terms?
1: Maybe, yeah. I mean, I, <laughs> on 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 ever, I just I think if we were to do this exact process, but. Um, in terms of managers, he would be the top of the list. I'm fascinated to see how he's going to get on yeah. and see, um, you know, what kind of football Bolton are playing next season. Um, but yeah, I, I picked George Maris, who's moved to Mansfield. You say he's gone up the food chain, but um, <laughs> I think I'm right in saying that Cambridge finished above Mansfield last season. But this reminds me a little bit, and I'm not saying he's by any by any stretch um, as good a player as Bradley Dack. but I don't know if you remember the listener talking to this here, not you, Ali, but I don't know if, if they remember when, Dak moved to Blackburn. He was linked to a move, I think, to Leeds the season before, which didn't materialise. Then he had, for his standards, a pretty disappointing season at Blackburn. I think he only scored five goals. Sorry, his, his last season at Chillingham, only scoring five goals. And uh, Maris has gone through a similar turbulent spell where aged 21 or 22 he scored 10 goals from centre midfield for Cambridge in league two and was linked to a host of clubs and there was a bit of a a transfer saga I won't blame you if you missed it at the time but he was being linked to to Rotherham and and I think everybody thought that he was moving up to the championship with with Rotherham and it didn't come off I think the move was blocked by Cambridge in the end and his form has has suffered ever since And, and last season in particular he really struggled. He played a little bit deeper um, in a kind of more withdrawn centre midfield role, rather than the the box to box role he he played before. And surprisingly, given how you know how highly thought of he was a couple of years ago, his move to Mansfield has been met largely with shrugs from Cambridge fans, um, feeling that he's not the player that he once was. But I think this is just a case of a. Very good League Two player who needs a change of scenery and needs something just to reignite his career because it's easy to forget just how good he was. So good on the ball, so energetic, with an eye for goal as well. And Mansfields always um, are looking to pick up the the best quality in League Two and we saw it last year even though it didn't work too well with the signing of Nicky Maynard and I feel like of all the signings they've made they've made some some more headline signings maybe this summer but I just have a feeling that Maris is going to have that kind of campaign where we see him with a new start with a fresh slate keen to impress still just 24 years old really come to the fore and I'm I'm interested to see how he's doing he's my kind of sleeper signing let's say in League Two I think people have forgotten just how good he is
0: Mm, I'm sold I'm absolutely sold Um, uh, (laughs) the, the final pick here uh Something of a wild card, but again, someone that I've seen a lot of people getting quite excited about, specifically Scottish football fans. I suppose excited is the wrong word because actually there's a bit of consternation. Uh, I'm talking about Vaclav Ladky, H-L-A-D-K-Y. I'm pretty sure the pronunciation is Ladky. He's a Czech goalkeeper who signed for Salford. Uh, He was playing for St Mirren for the last 18 months and general consensus is he's one of the most impressive goalkeepers in Scottish football. So there's a a bit of general bafflement that he wasn't moving to at least the championship where a, a lot of observers of Scottish football think he'd be better suited. So this is obviously considered something of a coup for Salford City. They are a team, as we know, who like to Uh, attract big names uh, (laughs) into their club. um, And they are doing so again this summer as they look to build a a promotion squad. Um, Reports last January were that there were clubs bidding about 300k for him, even though he he was available for a free this summer. St Mirren opted to keep him. uh, And now he's off to Salford. Uh, His underlying numbers, like his shot stopping numbers, were good, but not incredible. But what seemed to be said about him is that basically in 18 months of playing for St Mirren who, and facing a lot of shots, I think he made the most saves uh, in the league last season. That doesn't necessarily mean he's an, that doesn't make an amazing goalkeeper. It just means he plays for a team that faced a lot of shots. But uh, he basically, despite being bombarded with shots across 18 months never made a glaring mistake never made a howler uh, and if there's one thing we know about League two goalkeepers is that they're often judged by the amount of howlers that they make uh, and some of them make them fairly regularly so I'm looking forward to seeing this guy Ladke in and golfer Salford because to all intents and purposes he seems like he, he probably could be good enough to play for a championship club uh, and there you go nine transfers that we're excited about I think there's still a lot more business to be done George even with only three weeks to go certainly going through the championship list of signings it feels like it's it's slim pickings at the moment and you can understand why with with so much financial uncertainty across the whole of the EFL Um, it's been a fun pod though uh, George uh, one that I've enjoyed very much we hope that that you guys have enjoyed it as well throughout the pod we've been Mentioning pieces by Ryan Conway and Matt Slater about Derby's EFL charge and what happened there. By Nancy Frostic as well. All the off-field stuff with Sheffield Wednesday. But also a great piece this morning about Gary Monk, his style of play, and, and whether or not Sheffield Wednesday and Monk have really found their, their rhythm in in a tactical sense, uh, which they're going to need with this 12-point deduction. Um, but also, uh, there's a lot of good stuff on the Athletic site. There's a great piece from Stuart James on Ian Evatt's Barrow side. Uh, from last season, if you want to learn more about Ian Evatt and why we are so excited about seeing what he can do with Bolton, then it's worth finding that piece by Stuart James as well. Um, We'll be back again next week. A reminder that all of The Athletic's podcasts are available for free on all pod platforms, but they're also available ad-free if you're a subscriber to The Athletic. And if you sign up today, going to theathletic.co.uk forward slash EFLpod you'll get a 30-day free trial. So you can check everything out on site before going forward with your annual subscription. Join us again next week. And thank you for listening to the Going Up, Going Down podcast brought to you by The Athletic.